And this is Elaine Godley. So great to be back again. Uh, I can't believe how quickly two weeks goes by. So um, I'm joined in the studio, as I've said, by um, Joe. Oh, not Joe, that's that's your partner. <laughs> by uh, uh, Rose Mary, and um, you're from NG She. So tell us, um, uh, Rose, about NG She. What is it? Okay. Thank you. Good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, NG She is a uh, little community interest company uh, that is a, a grassroots survivor-led company. Um, and when I say survivor, I'm talking about survivors of mainly of domestic violence and abuse. And what we do is we work uh, with survivors of domestic violence and abuse um to help them heal build their confidence move on to have better lives there's there, there is support out there for victims of domestic violence women and people who are in crisis but once the crisis has passed a family might go into a refuge and then move um into a house once the crisis has passed there is very little support for women who are quite often relocated to areas and parts of the country they don't know for reasons of safety and so they quite often are um, very isolated and what that can mean is that they then start new relationships too soon and with the wrong people because they are so lonely so we seek to try and work um, with those um, women and uh, we run a series of courses and we also run projects. Uh, we make podcasts. We've produced a book. Um, and we basically do whatever um, the different groups we work with feel like they would like to, to do. And everybody on board with NGC, we're all survivors of domestic violence. Um, some of us in our childhood and some of us uh, as adults. Uh, so we're all working together in that way. So thank you for that explanation. It's, it's scary, isn't it, the amount of um, publicity these days that's given to domestic violence. Is it on the increase, Rose? Uh, apparently it is. It's uh, uh, usually between two, two women a week are murdered by violent partners or ex-partners or family members. And sometimes this rises to five a fortnight. At the moment, it is at an all-time high of three women a week. It has never been so high. Really? That's shocking. Three women a week are murdered uh, by their partners or ex-partners. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of um, focus. You know, people are, are looking at it. Well, people who are interested in working it are looking at it. There's a lot of talk about knife crime. And what we say is, yes, that's a problem, but actually there are more women being killed with knives in their own home than there are people being killed by other strangers really, on the street. Really, gosh, yeah. yeah. The, the gangs and that and is just not considered... Uh, you know, there's lots of talk about knife crime and how we're going to stop it, money being spent. That is not happening in domestic violence. Money is actually being taken away from the support agencies, not... not um, so although people talk about it, the actual reality of what happens is not all that great. 
Wasn't there a, supposed to be a new bill going through Parliament? Did that get squashed with the Brexit <laughs> uh, there monarchy? There is a new bill. It was uh, put forward by Jess Phillips, who's the Birmingham Labour MP. Um, I say the a Birmingham Labour MP. I'm not quite sure which area of Birmingham. And um, yeah, it, uh, it, it it does some very useful things, like it has a very clear definition of what domestic violence is. At the moment, the police and the support services and the government all have different definitions of what they're talking about, so that's not very helpful. Um, it also uh, is more explicit, in, because one of the problems in this country is we don't... Domestic violence is not against the law. We don't really? have a crime... We don't have a crime that is called domestic abuse or violence. Some countries do. What we do, when there is a, a domestic incident or a murder, it gets counted as if it were strangers. It depends on the way it's... Police officers are supposed to tag the incidents and say what the relationship between the people are so that you can identify which cases of domestic violence but they don't always do it because they haven't been trained or because they haven't got time and so some of the cases don't actually get counted properly um, that's shocking it is shocking and it's only very recently uh, over the last sort of 10 15 years there's a woman called sylvia warby who does a heap of work around counting um victims of domestic violence and one of the myths that she's spent a lot of time um, uh, criticising is the notion that domestic violence is a gender-neutral um, crime and it's not. It actually happens far more to women and far more women are killed. And it doesn't mean it doesn't happen to men. It can happen to anybody. It means it's not, it's not the same. It's not happening in the same way. And Sylvia Walby does, has done a lot of work around the crime survey for England and Wales where we are now counting better and, the, and, and, and what a lot of people say is, well, you know, guys don't report it. But actually, the crime survey for England and Wales is not based on police statistics. It's based on individuals' experience of crime. And they talk to about, I think, 40,000 individuals across the country. It's one of the most comprehensive crime surveys in the world. Um, and so it, um, it counts uh, those things. But it still has a lot of faults in its design for example women who are raped or sexually abused as part of their abuse that is then counted in another part of the survey and women who are um, murdered that is then counted in the, the homicide part of the survey so it's still not you know we know three women a week but it, it it's not all that accurate all those statistics, they're, they're relatively new. It's only been counted for a short period of time, really, relatively, c compared to other crimes. Right. Is there any double counting? If if Because there's lots of different, from, from the description you've given, there's lots of different uh, categories, if you like, that this type of crime could go under. So, I mean, it, are there, is, it, is one crime perhaps multi multiplied the I, I number of times it's do. recorded? I think what they do is, they, when they do the crime survey, they go to people's houses and they get them to fill out a questionnaire and some of that questionnaire is anonymous. They give them a laptop and, it, and whatever they put in the questionnaire gets allocated to a particular area and then it goes to the office of national statistics and they 
do use some police statistics to try and come up with a an overall figure but it's very very loose it's there's still stuff being recorded wrongly you know if, if it, an assault in nottingham city center we don't know if it's you know two men fighting outside the pub we don't know if it's a, a, some sort of mugging or whether it's a couple and it's a domestic violence incident so we you know it, it it has to be tagged. And because we have 42 police forces in this country, or is it 43? It's 42 or 43. Um, they all record it in a different way. Really? <laughs> yes. yes. So, I mean, Sylvia Warby, is, she's amazing. If you look on YouTube, there's some little films uh, with her. And on Radio 4, she's been on um, More or Less, the programme about statistics. And she talks very plainly and simply about how those statistics are gathered and where they come from. And it's kind of like her life's work, really. She wants to make those statistics accurate because if they're not, you know, policy is based on those statistics and money is based, you know, money is distributed based on policy. So it matters that we know who it's happening to and where it's happening and how many women and how many men and how many people it's happening to we need to know so that's part of the battle really is to get to get the proper statistics out there um which is hopefully changing and this new bill will uh it's going to bring in there's a law called claire's law which is where family members can go to the police and ask if your daughter for example became got into a relationship with somebody and you thought i really don't trust this person and you actually think that person's abusive you can go to the police under claire's law and say i'm really worried about this guy and the police will look at his history and if that person has a history of domestic abuse even if they've never been charged if it's they've been called to addresses where he is because of his behavior they will tell the victim um and give them the the, the information under the bill, at the moment, it's discretionary. The police can react, can say, well, we're not going to do that or we are going to do that. Under the new bill, they have to do it. They have to pursue the, the question um, because the, Claire, was, Claire Wood was a, a woman who met a guy on the internet and uh, she didn't know him. She didn't know anything about him. She didn't know anybody who knew him and he told her a whole pack of lies about his life. And on Christmas Day, I can't remember exactly when, he murdered her in her own bed. And her father um, said, I knew that he was like that. Because what they found out about him was he had been in prison many times for rape, kidnap, abuse of women. And had this long history that she knew nothing about. And if she, you know, her dad said if she had had any of that information, she wouldn't have gone anywhere near him. Um, so Claire's Law was something he campaigned for. It's not popular with everybody, um, but it was something he felt would help, um, you know, if family members could go and, uh, and ask the question. And if the police had had history on that person, they could perhaps uh, save somebody's life or, or save their, um, them, you know, having a, a years of abuse at the very least. So... There's a lot of things like that in it that are going to make it uh, the law much more robust. At the moment, it's not; uh, it's very slippery, and that's part of the problem. It's not; it's because we don't have a crime 
And I don't think we will have one after this, but it will be much, you know, we have a coercive control crime and that was an amazing thing that that is a, a crime that's directly connected to domestic abuse. And we haven't really had that. We're always trying to use laws that exist for other purposes to deal with something that isn't, you know, domestic violence is always a repeat crime. It gets worse. It's not carried out by a stranger it's somebody you know somebody you love somebody you care about somebody you have children with it's not like being attacked in the street by a stranger it's completely different and the laws we have are not adequate to deal with that which is why there's so much uh, you know many failings in the way that um incidents are dealt with <clears throat> so you mentioned that the the new law may not be popular with everybody who, who would not I can't imagine anybody uh, who would Claire's not Claire's like law is not popular with everybody because um, it's okay in its essence, but what has happened in some areas is that the information has been uh, discovered and they have gone to a victim and said, we know this about this person. And before the victim, what we know is that women stay with abusive men for a variety of reasons that make complete sense. Um, and so if they are um, told that this person, who may not yet have been particularly abusive towards them, is abusive, they are also being told, and if you don't do something about it, we're going to take your children away because your children are in danger. So it's all a bit heavy-handed uh, because we know that that approach doesn't work with women. What they will then do is run away mm. or go and live somewhere else. They won't. It won't protect the children. You have to give a little bit of time. And so there have. it's not what it was designed for, but there have been issues with that happening and women are, f are therefore frightened of it. They don't want it. We've had women in our classes going, I don't want anything to do with that. You know, I don't want them coming round my house saying that he... You know, it might just... It might be a bloke who's been violent in the past, but perhaps not to women. And so th there's 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 stuff that, that's difficult there. I don't know... In I haven't read the whole bill, but I... You know, there may be stuff in it that, that counteracts that, but that's the reason why. A lot of these things, they come in, they're very popular, but in practice when you actually look at the practice there are there are sometimes problems with the way people interpret what that should mean and what that should be so hopefully there will be something embedded in that because Jess Phillips who introduced it was worked in refuges that was she managed refuges and managed organizations that helped so she very much knows what is needed and and there's a lot of trust in her um so I'm hopeful that it will uh, bring about some significant changes and what everybody wants is to see a reduction in those figures they've mm. not they've gone up and that's just ridiculous they need to go down we can't have you know three women a week being murdered in their own families have it's they gone up because the people are kind of more more open and talking about it is is it do, do we know why it's gone up um, I think it's gone up for two reasons. I think one is that there's been huge cuts in the funding to the support services. So it's very hard for women. We encounter women all the time. Not very long ago, we are not a support service. We're a, 
a, a training provider and we are uh, we run support projects but we're not a support service for women in crisis and last two weeks ago we got a phone call at four o'clock in the morning from a woman who said i don't know what to do he's broken into my house i've called the police they haven't come I can't get hold of anyone. I don't know what to do. And we had to call the local police and we were, were like coordinating her safety, which is absolutely absurd. And she was terrified. And the attitude of the police was, oh, he said, oh, yeah, we know her. She's tough as nails. And I said, it doesn't matter how tough she is. She's terrified of him. He's repeatedly threatened to kill her. He's te she's terrified of him. And this notion that, you know, victims of domestic abuse are somehow weedy and weak. They're not. They're not regular, ordinary no. people, you know. And they and quite often they fight back, which is why you sometimes get in the survey a lot of guys going, oh, yes, I've been abused by my partner. And they tick the box. But they don't say that she hit him whilst trying to get out of the door with two children in her arms because he had just raped her. Mm. But his tick will counteract her tick because there's no box where you can say, how many times did that happen to you? So those figures that say it happens to one in three women and one in six men or one in eight men are not correct. 96%, uh, Sylvia Woolby reckons, of the most severe life-threatening domestic violence happens to women and is perpetrated by men. And that's not because, you know, we want to have a go at men. We want to stop it. And if we don't know what it is, we can't. Mm, we don't know who's doing what to whom. We can't put the money in the places where that can be dealt with. You know, if we're, if we're living under some f illusion that it's not what it is and it's happening equally and women are just as violent, that's not helpful to anybody. So it's difficult because mm. it is talked about, but it's not talked about in a very helpful way a lot of the time. Lies, damn lies and statistics, I think. Like is a, mm. is, uh, is, it is, is a bit like that. Say. But what we do on our courses, when we first started, the, uh, I've, I've taught domestic violence awareness for many, many years. And when we first started this course, um, somebody said uh, to us, don't you think, you know, they, they looked at the course materials and said, don't you think this is a bit theory heavy? And I said, no, I don't at all. And so on our courses, we teach women the theory of domestic violence, the theories and the, the statistics, and they love it. Whatever their academic level is, we teach it on a very basic level. They love it because it encourages them to know it isn't their fault. It's happening widely. There wasn't anything that they could do about it at the time other than what they did. And, that you know, this notion that somehow it, it's happening equally to men and women isn't right and, and isn't fair and isn't... So it, it's, it's empowering for them to know that stuff, I believe. And most courses that teach domestic violence don't teach that stuff. They teach very basic... Um, but we kind of go the, the whole hog with it and the women like it. And we've had quite a few women who have gone from our courses and actually become volunteers in the support services and a few, a couple now, who've got jobs. Um, and these were people who had no jobs or, you know, were working on zero-hours contracts. So uh, it's a good... a good, And they are survivors. And what's interesting... Um, what we always say, and one of the reasons we set up NGC, every single survivor I've ever met says, 
You say, what is it you want? And they say, I want to help other women. Mm -hmm. They all say it. Even women who've had a terrible time and are not properly out of it, they all say it. And so we, we call it a volunteer's course. But really, it's, it is a volunteer's course, but it's also a, um, a, an awareness course. And mm -hmm. we always put on our promotion that, you know, survivors are particularly welcome. We don't take uh, victims because it's not a crisis group or a support group. We direct those to them to the support services and try and get them help and then say, when you're sorted, come come back and you can come on the course. But um, that's what we do. And I also should say we get funded by Notts County Council to deliver. So they support these programmes, which is really good. How and many of the programmes do you run, Rose? We run... 20 it changes every year i think this year we're running 24 programs 24 courses they are six week courses one day a week and we run the domestic violence course we also run other courses that kind of complement it so we run a child psychology course which is really just talking about kids but women again somebody said oh, it might be better if you called it parenting. And I thought, really? You think I'm going to come here to this place and tell these women how to parent their kids? I don't think so. Child psychology, they, they want to know about child psychology. So we do a bit of psychology and we talk about parenting as well. Uh, so we do that. We also have one that is called Dealing with Anxiety and Depression that is run by a therapist. Um and we are we have a new one that's called let's talk about children that is more of a like sociological history of childhood that kind of thing anything to do with kids women like and they all get certificates they have a graduation and and you know and really value it and we had a, a a woman recently she's polish she's got an ma in poland and she got her certificate for the dv course and she said this is the best certificate I've ever had. Oh, because obviously she'd done it in English as mm. well, so that yes. was quite an achievement for her and all her other qualifications she'd done in her own language. And it was it was lovely. I, I thought it's really nice that she, she feels that way. And mm. they have, you know, we always say, if you want a photo with your certificate, every single one of them wants a photo with their certificate. I thought they'd go, no. <laughs> you know, but they all do. It's great. So we have a Facebook page, just NGC, and... Um, you can see all the courses on there and the programmes and quite often the women will say, say things about, you know, chat. Uh, we get excellent feedback, very high level, 100%, I think, of positive feedback and it works really well. So, yeah. Are you, it sounds like you're a beacon to show other areas how to, how to do this because you've been going quite a while, haven't you? Well, yeah, we're four years now. Uh, before that, we did still, we taught, but we taught for other organisations. I mean, I like to think so, but I think there are other, I think there are other people doing this in other parts of the country as well. I mean, we are based in Nottingham, but we actually, a lot of our work at the moment is in Mansfield. Um, that isn't always the case. We run courses in Nottingham, but we might run some more later if we get the, some more funding, but... Um, we, we do in Mansfield because there's a real dearth of this sort of thing. And we've got a lovely community centre there, Ladybrook Community Centre, that's run by an amazing woman called Sharon who just completely gets it. Uh, and it's very safe space, great play in the middle of a quite a um, 
impoverished estate full of amazing people i have to say and and the women come and they're they're just fantastic and we really like working with them and it's just great you know um, and when we started, I thought, well, maybe they might think we're a bit old, you know, but they, I think they like it. I see some older women come in and their faces sort of relax. That It's not a very young person going to be telling them what, you know, I think they kind of like that. Um, and also because quite a lot of them don't have parents or, mm. you know, they are, they have come from other areas and they are isolated. So we keep, you know, we keep it going. We, we have uh, two I think two thousand followers on Facebook, and uh, and we we sort of keep the the. It's not like we hang on to them, but we keep it going, and we say if you want a reference, come back to us. If you want to come on another course, come back to us, and we we sort of we're kind of there, but but obviously not for crisis stuff if we can help it. But we are we try to be there um, for the next bit of that person's life, and sometimes we get invited to things like christenings and weddings even um but people yeah. do find love after domestic abuse <laughs> well they do but uh, sometimes it's not with the person you think we had one woman who um she's in the book um lives on her own now with her um dogs two dogs she said this is what the life i want to live in my house uh, with my two dogs, both rescue dogs there's another woman who lives with her daughter there's another woman who has gone to work for Women's Aid uh, in Nottingham. And, and the way that they survived was by doing a variety of, of things. And it isn't usually, it isn't always getting into another relationship. They may do further down the line, but it's not, it's not always that. Sometimes, you know, sometimes there's a push like, oh, you know, you've got to get back out there. But sometimes women go, do you know, I don't want to. And we say, well, that's fine. You don't have to have a relationship. It's not compulsory. And somehow the idea that because you were hurt, you can't have a relationship is seen as a sad, damaging thing. But it's not. We meet loads of women who have chosen that and they have very happy, fulfilling lives in many ways, you know. And it's not about necessarily finding a partner and to try and do the thing again because that may not be right for everybody absolutely and, and like i say when we did the podcast we didn't select select we just used the women that we were, were working with and it so happened that there was only one of them who had actually moved on to have a, a new relationship all of the others survived in very different ways one of them uh, um became a performance poet she started to talk about her experiences in um performance poetry and she now is actually quite high profile around nottingham she's only young and she gets up and talks about her story and tries to help other you know people have different ways of absolutely it's not what happens to us is it i mean nasty stuff in one form or another happens to all of us every mm. single person on the planet but it's how we deal with it isn't yeah. it how we respond and how yeah. we then move forward yeah yeah and one other thing that's important to say is that when i first started in this work which is a long time ago people used to say oh some women just go from one abusive guy to another that's what they do they like it that's what they used to say the actual truth of the statistics is most women who experience domestic violence only ever experience it once in their lives they never experience it again 
if they do, it's because they had the misfortune to meet another abusive bloke. They don't have it written on their heads. Mm. Most of these guys are extremely charming when you first meet them, very adept at getting women to trust them. That they, they have done it before and there is a pattern to what they do. And so, um, you know, sorry, I've lost track of what I'm saying. Uh, so, yeah, it's not... Um, People aren't, um, they don't have this label on their forehead yeah. that says, so you know, roll up, roll it, up, yes, come here and yes. abuse me. So if somebody says, it happened to me, we had a woman, said, it happened to me three times, it's got to be me. I said, no, it's not you. You're very unlucky. It's not you. You know, but there are some things you could do, but that doesn't mean it's your fault in, in any shape or form. These guys were all completely different. And, it, and, you know, it, it very often in these relationships that people don't realise, you can be in a relationship for 10 years before it starts. It doesn't start on the first date or the first day. It can start after 10 years and then there can be a gap of three years before it happens again. So when people say, why do you stay? If somebody you love makes a mistake, behaves badly, you don't leave them and dump them and walk away. You try and work out what, why they've behaved like that. And what we say to people is think about your son, your daughter, your, your best friend. Think about the person you love the most in the world. What would you do if you went home today and that person hit you? Would you leave them and dump them and never speak to them again? Of course you wouldn't because that's not what we do. That's not what we're trying. These are people we know and love. So it's a, a, journey, a hard journey of, of re realising and you don't realise until it happens again that it actually is domestic violence. It's not, you know, you can say, well, that's a one-off thing that happened. I'm not going to dwell on that. But then if it happens again and again and again and again, then you, you're in you're in it. But it's very hard. It's, you know, hindsight is a lovely thing where you can go, well, I could see that. You know, and when you're an expert at it, you can see it a mile off. But when you're just a regular person who trusts people... How how are you supposed to know? Mm. How do you know? And how awful that we that, that we need to be having these conversations yeah. and you know yeah. this this type of um, I years and years ago I'm going back now gosh nearly twenty years I was um, doing some support um, consultancy in the classroom and I was sitting at the back and it was one of these newfangled PSHE topics mm. I can't remember what it stands for but is it personal social oh yeah health, personal education development. Something. And, and they were talking about abuse mm. and um, there were four or five different forms of abuse mm. and I was shocked. I, I ticked every one of the boxes mm. and here, you know, there I was, a middle-aged woman at mm. the time and um, thinking, crikey, I'd never realised that I'd actually um, mm. been, this, not suffered from, they, you know, mm. stuff happened and yeah. I got over it, dealt with it and that was that. But yeah. it ticks, you know, I could have ticked mm. the box, boxes. Mm. A lot of times victims don't. Realize. Don't realise, yeah, because it's subtle and it starts very subtly. Um, the way it, it often starts is with, is with what we call um, um, petty demands. So you get people who say, um, you know, I like all the tins in the cupboard to face the same way. Mm. Can you make sure that you do that? Mm. I like my tea in this cup all the time, and if you don't bring it in that cup, I might throw it across the room. Very little things. And when you're in love, you think, that's a bit weird. But it's, okay. It's just a little quirk mm, yeah. that he has. But what he's doing, he's testing. One woman told us that, um, should I went out with this guy for two years. And the day he moved into my flat, 
he said he went into the kitchen and he got the tea bags and the butter and he dropped it into the bin and he, he said tetley tea bags and Kerrygold butter and then he walked out of the room and she went and that was him that was his trivial demand mm. to start the path of telling her to do things and demanding things and she said he spent ages saying I don't want that I want that like this and what and she did it all because she was in love with him and she thought that they seemed like reasonable things to ask for but then it escalated and it that's, that's, I suppose you, you could kind of justify that by saying, oh, the person's got OCD. Yeah. You know, it's just a form yeah. of OCD and it's yeah, their or thing. Yeah, they're just a bit, you know, people have little idiosyncratic... Bit yeah. You know, you get all sorts of people who only want their tea in one mug, but they don't behave in that... You know, what we always say is, the question you have to ask yourself is, what happens when the thing you are asked to do doesn't happen? That's, That's a good question, question because, yeah. Because a lot of women say, we, we say, you know, demanding to have your tea on the table at a certain time every day is abusive. And then women will say, yeah, but my parents always did that. And we say, look at the words. Negotiating mm. and agreeing something in a traditional relationship is, is all right. I go to work, you're at home, we'll have tea at six, you'll make it. That's how it works for us. There's nothing wrong with that. What you have to say is, what happens if it doesn't happen? Mm. What happens if he comes home and she says, I've had a terrible day, I'm not well, the kids have been a nightmare, and he says, that's all right, darling, we'll get a takeaway. That's all right, darling, I'll cook the tea. That's a normal reaction. Calling you names and being abusive and throwing things at you and calling you lazy and all the rest of it is abusive. So what you have to say is what happens when the thing doesn't happen mm. and that's how you can work out whether it's an abuse or negotiated. Anything that's negotiated, you know, people talk about finances. If you've got an agreement, you've got a joint bank account, you don't spend any money out of it without agreeing, that's an agreement. If you've got somebody who dominates the finances and won't let you have any access to them and refuses, that's not. That's not. That's that's a domineering, coercive type of behavior so it's those simple things like you know what happens if it doesn't happen do you get hit do you get something That's, thrown um, at you i'm sure with um with the listeners there might be some listeners who are thinking oh gosh you know things like that perhaps i should start asking those questions mm. and what, yeah. what what should they do if they're if they're listening to this conversation you, they're thinking if that. you feel that you're in a domestic abuse uh, violent uh, we call it domestic abuse now but actually, a lot of survivors of domestic violence don't like that because they say that it wasn't abuse, it was violence. So we all, we, in NGC, we use both of the terms. We say domestic abuse and violence because it is both of those things. Um, what they should do, there is a national free phone helpline. The phone number is one of the easiest phone numbers on the planet to remember. It's 0808-2000-247. And the way you can remember it, the way I remember it is I say, <laughs> the first bit is the hardest bit to remember because it's the free phone number, but there are several free phone numbers. So, so I always say, wait, wait to myself, 0808. 2000 is the millennium and 24-7 is the times that the line is available. You can write it down, but it's better to try and remember it because if you remember it, 
you can always use it. If you phone that helpline, you can do a number of things. You can talk to somebody or you can get the number of the local helplines. There are lots of different helplines. So I, I, I keep that one in my head because you can ring that one and get any other number of any other helpline. So they can ring that one and ask for the helpline for Juno, which is the Central Women's Aid in Nottingham, which is a different number. And they can talk to someone. If they want to, they can then go to the um, Women's Centre and to speak to a support worker. None of this will ever be disclosed to anybody, especially not their partner or family, and nobody will make them do anything. They can ask any questions they like. Nobody will say, you've got to get out of there. That is not how it works. They will talk to you. They will clarify things for you. They will give you support and they will give you options of things you might want to do and you will be given plenty of time to think about them. So I would say call the number, um, don't rely on friends and people you know, they don't always know what is best. Call the number and if anyone is saying to you, your relationship is abusive, you need to get out, they shouldn't be saying that to you. They should be supporting you and encouraging you to go to the specialist, what we call the specialist services. They're specialist services because they are run by women, they were set up by women and they have incredible specialisms in working with survivors. Whoops, that's the time for a drop of music. Let's um, let's play uh, uh, some music here. And this is Elaine Godley joined in the studio by Rosemary from NG She in Nottingham, which is a, a domestic violence support organisation. So, um, Rose, we've been hearing a lot from you about... Um, the, the Act of Parliament that's coming up and um, uh, how you support uh, people who have uh, who are dealing with this or, or have also got through. You mentioned a book, so your yeah. book um, yeah. called Survivors Speaking for a Change. Yep. So um, speaking for a change in the law, in, yeah. in, in social media. Well, yeah, it's speaking for a change because they don't speak very often and it's speaking for, for changes in the way that domestic violence is dealt with and the way that, um, you know, the police respond to it. There's actually, uh, I thought it might be good to share this, there's an organisation called Justice for Women. It has several solicitors involved with it and they do absolutely fantastic work. They've done lots of work helping women who have killed abusive partners in self-defence have their uh, get out of prison, basically. There was one very recently, Sally Challen, that was oh, all I over the news. Oh, I remember that, yes, yeah, they, they did that, they, they, they did that, and they have got something that is called a master complaint. It's called a master complaint that they have made, as I understand it, to the police saying that the police that there it's all very well having new laws but if the police don't use them they're not worth anything there is for example a thing called a go order which is a domestic violence i can't remember the proper name of it but it, it it means where there is an incident the police can remove the alleged perpetrator away from the home for a period of time two three weeks while an investigation is carried out into what's happening and that person is removed. They don't use them. 
they exist, but they don't use them. There's hardly any evidence of them using them, certainly not in the East Midlands. I don't know if they use them in other areas, but there's not much. And the same with Claire's Law. It's all very well having these things, but if people don't use them, if the police aren't even aware of them and aren't using them themselves, that's a disservice, you know. And bail conditions, when they release people on bail, not putting, pro you know, injunctions and things like that exist for a reason, and, and they can put all sorts of bail conditions onto somebody that prevent them from going near the victim. But they don't always do it. They just say, oh, we've let him out. He's kept him in the cells all night and we've let him out. And they don't even tell the victim that they've... Stuff like that. And it doesn't happen to everybody, but it happens enough for it to be problematic. And, and you know, so women then don't call the police because it makes it worse for them if mm, they do. Yeah. And, what, what you know, that's crazy. That's, it, that's... Surely it's common sense, though. Yeah. Surely it's common sense. The police should should know, you know, you know, yeah. and and policemen aren't silly. They, mm. they they you know they're trained in you know what mm. they're. Well, I know I used to be in the police. My dad was a police yeah. inspector, so I know they're not you know, mm. uh, not uh, you know, um, blind to all of this. But it, it's common sense, regardless mm. if if you're a policeman or not. Mm. Do you go into um, do you, do you talk with the police about this sort of thing? Do you go to employers and and speak we to don't. employers? We don't. We in the past we have. When we, because we used to run private courses, and we would run them, and people would pay, or we would train groups of people. We don't at the moment because we get the community funding, but there are Women's Aid do that, and Refuge, who are the other big organisation, they they talk to the police and they um, talk to employers, and uh, they also go into schools. Equation in Nottingham, which is the um, another support service they offer courses for people in work unlike us most of our courses are for people who are not in work so they offer courses for professionals people who are usually one day courses they're free they're funded by the police actually to, to run them and they run them all over Nottinghamshire and they're very good courses I've heard and they're targeted at professionals uh, and they're usually free and they have very specialised, they have uh, one, domestic violence in children, domestic violence in men, domestic violence in lesbian and gay people. They have a variety of different uh, approaches uh, and different courses that are all very good. So that's kind of catered for, I think, in a, a different way. But we, we have done that, but at the moment we don't, we don't do that anymore. But we are working on a, um, we got some funding from the lottery again, and we're, working on an exhibition. Uh, we've got a group of survivors who are going to make an exhibition of everything they've learned on the courses and some of their experiences, and they've got some fantastic ideas. So we're going to invite um, key people when we open that exhibition. It will probably be in Ladybrook. Uh, we're going to invite key people to come along and have a look Will and that talk be another book? Us. Will that turn into well, another book? I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It depends. We, we let them, we let the women we're working with take the lead, really. So we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see. Um, but at the moment, we're just working on the exhibition. And we're going to, for this, we're going to have a bit. Um, what women have asked for is something for their kids. So we've got a, we're going to have a, a somebody working with a group of kids around their memories and in a very careful, safe way. So the the, the, the kids' story is there too. 
You mentioned um, earlier on, uh, Rose, about people staying with perpetrators for um, perfectly logical reasons. What, what kind of reasons do people stay with, um, with these people? Because they have nowhere to go, because they have no money, because they have a great many children and no money, because they think he will change, because they love him, because they um, are frightened. The main reason... Women in violent relationships stay is because they are safer and they stay than when they go. Mm. It's a survival strategy. Women who leave violent men are in huge danger from the minute they leave. Much And, and if you've lived with somebody for 15 years who's violent, you know it. Mm. You, you know, know what where they are. Of. You know what they're doing. You know when it's going to happen. Mm. You know how to deal with it. You probably have your own safety plan, even if you don't call it that. Right, but women know, and this is why you can't go leave, leave, leave. Because what are you going to do? You're going to have this woman on your sofa. Mm. You're going to have this guy banging on your door, hitting you. You know that that's not safe. That's that's ridiculous. So actually, it's a survival strategy. They have to leave when it's safe and when they feel right. So that might be when they've saved up money. They've got. It doesn't mean they can't have support, but they have to leave. Uh, when it's right and mm. safe. Most women, most of those three women I talked about who are murdered every week are murdered within the first 12 months of them leaving the relationship. That's when they're murdered. So that will give you an idea of that is a very dangerous period of time. Mm. So they have to be in a safe place with resources and the children have to be managed. We've got mobile phones now kids wanting to ring their dad look after the dog all of this business there's lots of things that have to be managed to make that completely safe for, for everybody you know for all of the, mm. for the kids i think the these area. are things that people from the outside looking in don't appreciate no um i know from mm. my own personal experience it took me four years yeah to um to mm. get away and i am a strong woman people who know me yeah. will say you know yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like a yeah. rhinoceros in, in yeah. lots of different ways but even though and it's, it's like these these people target strong women it's almost yeah. like a challenge isn't mm. it mm. yeah yeah they target people that they can get into really um and you have to be, you know, if you see any sign, you have to just go, no, that's a sign of something that's not right. And people, I know a woman actually I met recently who, um, she said the guy's brother attacked her while her daughter was there over some argument they had and he didn't do anything and he sort of supported him and she left him. And he said, what, you're going to leave me over that? And she said, yeah. And she left him. And I just, that, that's unusual, but I, I thought, yeah, good for she you. She could see the writing she on the wall. She could see what was yeah. coming. And she, she said, I'm not letting my daughter be exposed to that. Yeah, he and wasn't you, there for and, her. And you can see her, but if you take her any, anywhere near him, mm. I'll get your access taken away. Mm. Um, and he was absolutely astounded, but she she, she left him. Mm. She didn't let her. it happen, you know. And, that, and, and I, I'm not saying that people who do are letting it happen because you don't know, you know. My mum was in a violent relationship for most of her married life. There was nowhere to go then. You couldn't go. You had nowhere to go. And eventually she did get away from him, but it was a long time coming. Um, and funnily enough, she left him and within a very short space of time, he died. He fell down the stairs when he was drunk and died, which didn't bother me in the slightest. But um, that, you know, because she looked after him really. Mm. 
And um, so, well, in, in days gone by, it was like put up, shut up, yeah. um, married for yeah. life. You know, there, the there was no name. Didn't there, there was no name for it. No. If you have no name for something, it doesn't exist. And and uh, you know, we called it. You know, they called it battered women. Mm. Oh, that's ba right. Battered, battered wives, wives battered refugees. Wives, that's right. The battered Goodness. wives. I used to yes, think of yeah. fish and chips. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that, that was the sort of clumsy term we came up with because we didn't have a name for it. If you don't have a name for something, it doesn't exist. If you don't have, you call it domestic violence, then it doesn't exist. Yeah. It's just violence. And you have to differentiate it because it needs a particular kind of... Um, approach it's not the same as as stranger on stranger when, when women do pluck up the courage to leave and they have a strategy and 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 everything um th that they have to contend with do you find that society is supportive of these women or do they kind of poo poo and look down on them as if it's their fault that they've got themselves into this pickle i think it depends i think um i think there is a judgment about it and there is, you know, people say things like, oh, they're lying and he's a lovely, this kind of, oh, he's a lovely bloke, all this, you know. Th these people don't, they're not any different from us. They're not a particular kind of bloke. They're just a kind of bloke who have, you know, not much respect for women. That's their problem. It's or not, or it's, themselves, because behaving yeah, like that is no, yeah. it's, it's no you know. So, so, so it varies. People do, you know, people who, und uh, you know, what we feel like is we're on a mission to train the whole world because we think if you know the more people who get this the more helpful they can be to their neighbors or that you know we say if you live next door to somebody and you know stuff's going on make a note of it you, even if you don't end up calling the police that time make a note of it because it will help yes if she yeah. ends up leaving and she needs some evidence it will help there's things you can do and if if the police come there's nothing stopping you popping your head out and saying well, I don't mean to interfere, but can you be sure to tag this as yes. domestic violence? Yeah. And if you're polite, uh, you know, and, and reasonable, uh, that those things, if people could do, that, they're things that all of us can do, you know, and if you see something going on, call the police. A while if ago, you think someone's not all right, ask her. Mm. When he's not around, ask her, say, are you okay? Is there anything I can do for you? That's what I was going to ask you. There was a there was a kind of a, a campaign, and I think it started off well intentioned, but I think it en ended up going off the rails a bit. Where you see somebody, and you know, are you okay, sort of thing, and yeah. you can see somebody's behaving in a way. Yeah. Maybe they go shopping, and they're mm. you know they're frightened rabbits. Mm. Something about a black spot on the hand or something. Mm. Yeah. Tell us about that. It's well, I don't know much about it, but it was a thing that you could go into a bar and you could show it, and they would. But the, the fact is, you don't know who you're showing it to. Mm. So, you know, you, it, we live in a world where there's a lot of violence against women. So if you go and you show it to somebody who themselves is a perpetrator, then I think those Happy Christmas. I don't think those kind of things are very helpful. I think they're a little bit, a little bit kind of sensationalist, you know, trendy. I, I don't think they help people really. I, women sometimes mention it on the course. You might be lucky, you know, you show it to a woman, she could ring someone for you. But then if you're in a position to show somebody your hand, you could probably ring yourself. Yes. Yeah, so it's a little true. bit like, I don't know, I wouldn't recommend it. And I don't think the support agencies came on board with it. They didn't recommend it. So if they don't, then we wouldn't because they're the people who, who know, really. So. 
Um, but yeah, it was a funny. I think it's faded out a bit now. Mm, but yeah, I, don't I, I remember the, the thing about it, and yeah, it was. But but you know, people having ideas is not a bad thing. People wanting to help is not a bad mm. thing. But you know, get find out about it. Go on a course. Find out about it a little bit more, and then you'll know what you can do that is really helpful to people. The um, um, the, the reasons that people stay, um, you were saying about the coercive control as well, people not realising yeah, that they are actually always. being manipulated mm -hmm. effectively. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes you see uh, women who are really quite large, you know, obese, mm -hmm. well overweight, mm -hmm. etc. And um, when you see, you, you see it out and about, I've seen it so many times, mm -hmm. where the man is not behaving in a very... Yeah, um, complimentary way, respectful yeah. way, yes, yeah. to the woman. Yeah. She, she's as big as a house. Yeah. And it's like you can see that he's he's a feeder. Yeah. So feeding her yeah. and telling her that she's, yeah. oh, I, I've only got eyes for you, blah, blah, I don't care what size you are. Yeah. And if her self-esteem is very low, yeah. and you can see how it very easily, yeah. you know, turns into something fear that's not pleasant. Fear of being pleasant. alone mm. is a big fear. And it's encouraged, but I think in the media, being alone is not that bad. I'm I'm encouraged. very happily separated for yeah. 15 years now, yeah. and the, the thought of being—I mean, I've been married three times. The thought of having a, a man around me, I'd sooner stick pins in my eyes, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got a I mean, life. thank you very you know, much. You, what, know. you know, that's it. That's what many many say now, but um, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's important to know what is helpful, and having a go at somebody and yelling at them and telling them to leave isn't. You have to have. Yeah. You know, Having safety. said that, I must uh, I must set the record straight here. I, I don't have a problem with any of my husbands, my three husbands. <laughs> okay. um, although true. there was That's there good. was a um, number two was was a wobble, shall we say? But um, yeah. I'm, I'm friendly with them all. Yeah. And um, even That's though um, I was in a domestic violence situation with number two, um, I just pity him, and you know, and he's full of ill health now and regret and remorse and is living well, a, a miserable thing. life so yeah. you know hard luck it's yeah payback time mate yeah that's good <laughs> but, but having said yeah. that i would still help him now if you know if he needed yeah. help and so on and so yeah. forth life's too short to bear you know yeah. resentment yeah and there's a saying that um forgiving people um does you more benefit than, than mm. them forgive them not because mm. <clears throat> excuse me not because they deserve it but because you're worth it Mm. And if you carry on, I think it's I think embittered. it's okay to an extent, but I think you know what I think some of these people are just really dangerous people. Absolutely, and, and I think you, shouldn't you be know, on the streets. I think forgiveness, yeah, there's a place for it. I I, I wouldn't call it forgiveness. No, there's I, probably I, a, bit, I, a better I, word. I call it more. You know, you come to terms with it, and you don't care anymore. Yes, yeah. Um, you don't it, it, you don't care whether you see that person or not yeah. and you don't feel threatened by them and that's a good that a good would be place. good to come up perhaps um, on on your next course rose ask your ladies what, to, what a word to come up with it um, yeah. because it's not it's not forgiveness as such but no. that's, I, I use that word because i don't know any other word but mm. yeah it would be a, a nice for it's lots of things a, yeah. in life not just but to be honest violence. most of them don't most of them just want not to see them again yes, it's because yeah. a lot and you know it's unless there has been you know a, an apology and a, and and it's very rare most of them just don't want to be around them well, and the they don't trust them and they the reason don't feel i mention safe. it because um in the the uh, work that i've done over the years volunteering helping people to get through cancer mm. unless emotional yeah. is dealt with yeah. yeah women potentially who've gone yeah. through domestic violence yeah. are um are kind of not 
uh, doing themselves service because they've got all this tension and mm. resentment and bitterness mm. or whatever you want to mm. call it within mm. them and that mm. emotion has to come mm. out mm. in so so going on your courses and being taught mm. how to deal with the emotions mm. is absolutely fantastic mm. but um, keeping those emotions in mm. um, and not moving on will mm. then likely give mm. them poor health mm. I think one of the things that is really helpful to survivors I know and they say is getting together with others yeah, and, and, and realising it wasn't just you, it wasn't your fault. And that takes a real weight off people and they, they, they see it, they, they start to go down a path of seeing it in a very different way. But there are problems with, with some of it because often, usually, women have children with these people so they cannot usually be rid of them unless they disappear and there's a big part of the new bill that is about what is going on in our family courts. Our family courts happen behind closed doors, so we don't know what goes on. But what happens in our family courts, most of the judges in those courts are not trained in domestic violence work. And what they do, they believe that all men... All fathers should have access to their children regardless of what they have done. And they have given unrestricted, unsupervised access over the last 10 years to men who have murdered their children. And so far the figure is 29 children. Wow. And, and so part of the bill is about addressing what goes on in the family courts. The belief in those courts is if he is violent to her, he won't be violent to them. It's between them. It's not true. Mm. They are nearly always violent to their children. And if somebody behaves in that extreme violent way, maybe they lose their right to have access to their children. Certainly for a time until... You know, and, and it, it shouldn't be an automatic right. And so that's one of the problems, you know, men coming out of prison, turning up at the house, I want the kids, you can't stop me, being really abusive, and then that being upheld in the family courts. And it's a nightmare for, for women. Those, You know, that shouldn't happen. 29 kids, and I think it was 12 women or something, have been killed because of those decisions. And that's too many mm. women's aid have got a campaign called child first and this bill some of the contents of this bill are a result of that campaign because that is going to be tightened up so that the courts uh, behave in a different way with those families again and, common sense common yeah. sense doesn't seem to come into the no. law at all does it and and you know, keeping kids. There was an in a case last year of a guy who took the kids back to his house. You probably read about it. Took them up in the loft to see the new train set. Locked them in the loft and set fire to the house. Crazy. To, to spite his ex-partner. Mm. Yeah, shocking. And, uh, you know, those and the, he was given access to those kids and she was so strongly saying... I really don't want... And they just were taking the view that she's just being awkward. Mm. She's an awkward woman. That's the response. And and I we have known women who've gone on the run with their children. Mm. Yeah, I have too. Rather to. than, you know, and, and, and to ignore that and make a sexist comment about it is pathetic. 
to, to not believe somebody who's in front of you and so distressed about their ch- and the children don't want to go anyway mm. it's wrong yeah you know and, it, and, right. and hopefully that will change so we're going to move on to a different topic in a moment yeah. so just to just to wrap this up about um so you so the book that you've produced is called survivors speaking for a change and um, it's available on Amazon, and you've mentioned that it's used now in some studies. Yeah, it's on it's on some student reading lists. So because one of the um, some of the people we know who we know uh, somebody who's a professor at uh, Newcastle who does some of this, and she said there's a real dearth of stuff written by survivors. There's a lot of academic stuff and theoretical stuff, but there's not much stuff. And she was very supportive. In fact, there's a quote from her on the back of the book, Nicole. Right. Um, a nice quote, actually, about... Um, let me, let me read, read that it. out. Yeah, let me read nice it out. Quote. So this is from Dr Nicole Westmarland, who is a professor of criminology at Durham University and author of Violence Against Women that she published in 2015. So she writes, I believe there's nothing about men as a group that makes them innately violent apart from their male privilege. I believe men's violence is condoned on an individual and structural level and that gender inequality is too often dismissed as something that is not an issue for Western women in the 21st century. And this does not mean that I believe men's violence are not inevitable and can be challenged and can be vastly reduced. Oh, sorry, and this does mean that I believe that men's violence is not inevitable and can be challenged and vastly reduced. Yeah. So um, that's uh, Dr Nicole Westmarland. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So it's not about having a go at men. It's Mm. about saying, stop, you know, stop it. Let's stop it all together, all of us. Okay, so Survivors Speaking for a Change on Amazon. And um, to reiterate that uh, helpline number again, 0808 2000 247. 0808 That's if you feel that you possibly may have a domestic violence issue at home maybe you haven't realized it but you've been listening to the show and uh, some of the things that rose have been saying have resonated with you and also to say anyone can ring that number so if you're the mother of somebody right. or the neighbor you can ring and say i don't know what to do what should i do and they will help you uh, navigate that it, most of us don't know what to do so don't go and think well i'll just make it up as i go along ring them and they will advise you on what the best course of action is to keep yourself safe and the victim safe too that's right because it could it could backfire on you if you're totally. a, like a nosy neighbor um a violent man yeah. doesn't appreciate a nosy neighbor does he exactly so, exactly yeah. cool okay lovely thank you very much rose you're welcome so we're going to have um, devil woman <laughs> and uh, by cliff richard and then we're going to talk about another topic that um you've uh, very kindly agreed to share okay. with us so uh, here we are devil woman so uh, we're in the studio today. It's Elaine Godley here with you for um, Perfect Health Programme. And uh, Rose Marie has been talking about NG She, an organisation in Nottingham that helps um, support victims of domestic violence. But before we, we go on to your, your own personal uh, topic um, that you originally came to, to the studio yeah. for, Rose, um, how did you, I forgot to ask you in, in, in the last bit, how, how did you actually get involved with this topic? Because I know you're absolutely deeply passionate about it. And, yeah. Um, well, my mum was a victim of domestic violence and nobody in those days um, knew what it was. There was no uh, support or help. And so basically we, we lived with it 
we we were all with five kids we were survivors of domestic violence so it was always something close to my heart um my mum did get away from my dad eventually but four years after that happened she actually died so it was just, it was very sad that she actually got away from him and had quite a nice life with her friends she was learning to drive lots of things going well nice house da -da 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 -da, and then she got cancer and, and died so that was very sad which is why the other things we're going to talk about are also close to my heart um i i lived in oxford for a couple of years <clears throat> and um I went to a college there, and uh, Oxford is where they had the very first Women's Liberation Conference. I think it was in 74 or something. I don't know. It was before I was there. Um, but it had, there was stuff going on. People were talking about these things. It was like the birth, if you like, of feminism. So things were being spoken about that hadn't, and domestic violence was being spoken about which I, I was really interested in. And then I moved to Lancaster and uh, was involved with a group of women who set up a refuge there in an old pub um, and had women come. Uh, basically, it happened all over the country. Women were setting up these refuges and inundated with um, with women needing help. In fact, we set up the refuge. I'll just tell you this one funny story. And... Um, we thought the police would come and just take it all away, basically. And uh, what happened was they just kind of went, what are they doing? And 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 just said, leave them alone, because nobody wanted the building particularly. And uh, there was a little theatre across the road, and they were all kind of, what are they doing in there? But, but left us alone. But what did happen, we had a woman come who was an undercover journalist who then went back to the paper and said, the place is filthy, it's disgusting, you can't put people in there. And it was really bad and really sad. But it backfired because the next day there was a knock at the door and there were two very nice, refined women standing there dressed very nicely with a very nice car outside with lots of cleaning equipment who said, we've come to, cl we've come to clean the refuge. <laughs> for Aww. you uh, and, and I just thought it was the loveliest thing these very posh women came mm. in and cleaned the refuge and they came several times and cleaned the refuge and bought lots of cleaning stuff it wasn't that bad but there were a lot of people in there and we were in the early days of it all so uh, that kind of backfired really and, and it turned out being a helpful thing for us when I uh, came to Nottingham I was involved with a refuge here um, for, for quite a while and then I worked for um, Citizens Vice uh, dealing with housing and domestic violence issues because that was an area of work and then I uh, taught um, domestic violence awareness for the WEA and various other organisations did some work with Women's Aid um, and then sort of always had a, another side of interest, which was radio and music and all of that. So what Joe and I decided to do was combine all of that into an organisation. So as well as doing the, um, the domestic violence work and the training and all of that, <clears throat> we also very keen on podcasts and, and we had a radio show for a while, which we may well pick up again at a later time. But um you know, and music. We also taught a women into music course, which was a which was about look, watching, um, looking at the various ways women portray themselves. And that even that 
um, you know, you, you, when you study that, we did a film one as well, looking at women directors, you still get round to talking about the same things, women's thing, you know, things that concern women and domestic violence is always in there. So we always find whatever we teach, you know, and what shocked us, you know, before we started, um, it, it, the NG she was that the, the massively high percentage of all of the women who came on adult learning courses who were survivors, regardless of the course, whether it was an art course or. And at the moment, we run, you know, obviously we are targeting survivors, but it's 85, 90% of our students, you know, are, are survivors of domestic abuse, regardless of which course they come on. And I, that is just so high, you know, we didn't, we thought that, that it would be more like 50 and then we would get people who are interested because we want them to come to learn, to be able to help others <clears throat> and, and if they want to go into that kind of work as well. So we, we, we don't, we encourage other, others to come. Um, and sometimes some of those others realise by the end of the course that they're in an abusive relationship. Mm. So there's all of that, that going on, but um, that's... That's how I got into it, really. It was oh, very, very personal to me. Um, and, and now I've ended up... Uh, I ended up... Uh, I did my teacher's training and then I went to London Met to do a module on women and child abuse for because uh, they wanted me to write a course for them at the UEA. And the module was so amazing that I ended up doing the MA so I've got an MA in women and child abuse now. So I've ended up being sort of a bit of an expert in it, oh, how, which how? I which which I'm happy about. It's like I can answer a lot of questions about it, and uh, you know, fill the courses with a lot of information. And just to add, if anyone is interested in the courses, they are open to um, women who uh, live in Nottinghamshire. They run in Ladybrook and they run in Selston, but they are open to anyone who lives out of the city boundary. We sometimes take one or two from the city, but we're not really supposed to. Um, so it's out of the city boundary and it's free to anyone who's on uh, means-tested benefit or working tax credit. If you're not on those things and you want to be a volunteer, we, um, there is some leeway for you to still have a free space, but it's not what we stress is it's not a professional development course for social workers or police officers or people like that. That kind of thing would be more what Equation offers. Um, so that, that that's all I wanted to add, really. So how do people get in touch with um, NG uh, We have a Facebook page. That is really the best way. Right. So we go on the Facebook page. We have a lot of uh, followers and all of the information is there. And if you look under the events, all of the courses are there. We, we try to discourage people from ringing us because when we're recruiting, uh, enrolling for courses, we, we, we get an awful lot of people contacting us. So what we say is, can you message us on Facebook or can you... Um, send us that the phone number is on Facebook. I don't. I'm, I don't really want to say the phone number mm. here. It's on Facebook, um, and you can text us. And what we need is your postcode and your benefit status. If you cannot, if you it, there is a, uh, a there are some subsidised places where you pay a small financial contribution, and the um, Notts County Council still pay the rest. So there's a variety of ways, but we work under the philosophy that uh, we don't turn anyone away who really needs that course because they are not on benefit or not on working tax credit we we ensure that people who need to come 
women who need to come can come. Great, you um, find a way, fabulous. So NG she on Facebook. <coughs> okay, let's go on to the other topic yes. now because uh, the the program is fast uh, running away with this. It always yeah. every 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 program I record and um, the same thing. You think you've got uh, you know ages to talk about a topic, and then uh, people become so interested in in uh, you know, in passionate, which is yeah. which is great. So. Um, uh, your you mentioned that your mother had cancer, so it's, it's Hodgkin's disease. Hodgkin's Hodgkin's disease. It's like lymphoma. Right, I had Hodgkin's lymphoma. Really, I had stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma, two thousand and fifteen. Ah, oh, how interesting. She had, and they said that uh, it was treatable, um, and they were treating her, and there was something that happened where my brother said that they were giving her the wrong blood. I was very young. I didn't really step up. I didn't really know what the hell was going on. And I never for a million years thought she was going to die. It didn't enter my head that she was going to die. And then, uh, but there was some business about it that was, oh, I remember my brother saying this. It was, I don't know, but it, 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 it gave me a level of mistrust that I hadn't had before around that that treatment that you absolutely trust they're in the best hands and it made me think I wish I'd been a bit older and been able to ask a few more questions about what was going on because I I didn't how old were you then I was 22 I was very young 22 I always think that about myself I've always been a bit a bit behind what I think I should you know what I mean and I I'm 65 now and I still feel like I'm a bit immature but I yeah, I was 22 and I, I didn't know about anything like that. I just didn't know about anything like that. And I thought, if she's in the hospital, she's okay. And and she came home and she said, oh, I've been in Marks and Spencer's with Des, my other brother, and got some clothes because I've lost so much weight. And she seemed fine. And the following Saturday, she died. And and I was just like, I, 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 didn't, I didn't expect it. And I, it was a terrible shock to me because I, I loved her dearly she was great even though despite everything that happened she was great and she brought us up really well and was very um you know tried to protect us as best she could and did did a reasonable job i think so so that was your first um sort of experience yeah. of the medical profession yeah. letting you down basically yeah i f- i felt let down i felt it wasn't right and it wasn't for a long time that i was able to make any sense of it I didn't. I just thought, oh, she must have been iller than I thought, and they didn't tell us, and I felt like they didn't tell us anything really, because obviously it was just us, and we were all sort of. My my younger brothers were teenagers, and, my, and I had an older brother and an older sister, but they they didn't take us very seriously, and they didn't, you know. My brother tried to ask the right questions, but I don't think I think he was out of his depth. We'd never had any dealing with anything like that. And we completely trusted that the medical NHS would do the right thing for people. We didn't have any reason not to. And I, I feel like it was ha- not handled rightly at all. You mentioned there were five of you. Yeah. So did you all stay living together? Um, well, no. When she died, no. We all went our separate ways. Um, I was actually in Lancaster then. And my brother was somewhere else. And... Kieran, the youngest one, had just started university. So we were actually, I think Des was at home, um, and we all just stayed where we were, and we, we, we didn't stay. Um, I don't see them now. I have contact with them now at all. 
we just kind of went our own way and, and it was sad. She wouldn't have liked that at all, but it's just, that's how it went, really. Mm, that's life. Um, so so it, it, going back to your personal experience then, Ros, so tell us about your own health and well-being and how things have been for you over the well, years. I, um, after all that happened, I was um, sort of quite alone, really, in the world. And, um, and I, uh, um, I used to drink quite a lot and I used to take quite a lot of drugs, actually, too, at that time. Um, and I didn't live a particularly healthy life. I like to think I did. I was vegetarian. I was always vegetarian. That was my my thing. But I, you know, otherwise I didn't, and I I wasn't in a good place really. And so uh, time went on, and then I um, um, moving forward. I, I didn't have any sort of health problems though, particularly. Uh, but when I was in my 30s, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, which was a shock. I had very sudden paralysis in my hand. I still sometimes wonder whether it is that, because they didn't do a whole lot of... They kind of looked at my hand and went, oh, you've got the rheumatoid factor. But I, I, I sort of think, well, is that, is that what So happens? they did it by sight? They diagnosed you by sight? Yeah, my hand was all paralysed, and she said... And, and swollen, mm. and, and the GP sent me straight up to rheumatology and said, we've got to catch this quick. And they did all the blood tests and stuff. I said, you've got um, rheumatoid arthritis. And I was put on um, uh, sulfasalazine, which is quite a common drug. Didn't have too many problems with it. But after two years, I stopped taking it because I thought, if I don't stop taking it, how do I know whether it's gone away or not? So I stopped taking it, and for two years, I didn't have any symptoms, and I didn't take anything at all. And then it came back again, the symptoms came back again. And since they came back again, I have had very active inflammation most of my life. My doctor always said, you, you're... you're Inflammation is always active. It never seems to stop. And I, I, I then started to try and look at ways of um, dealing with that and looking at my diet a bit more and, and not drinking so much and what have you. Um, but I, I didn't know really what, you know, I was on taking dihydrocodine in large quantities, prednisolone. Uh, that was through choice because I decided I didn't want to take methotrexate. I didn't trust it, what I'd read about it. So I stayed on those two drugs and they said, if you stay on these drugs, you'll be paralysed in a very short period of time. I didn't believe them and I was right. Um, so then I was really into, no, what they tell me isn't right. I know it's not right because I'm, I'm messing so with were, it. So they were giving you a drug... Yeah. to help in one way but they knew that was going to paralyze you that no they said if i didn't take the oh, drug sorry. i was i was at that point only taking steroids small dose of steroids and dihydrocodone for the pain and i didn't take anything else and they said if i didn't take any of these autoimmune attacking drugs yeah. i would be paralyzed i would be very badly deformed and i would have lots of problems my doctor said that's not true. Um, they don't like people taking steroids because they're cheap. 
They don't want you taking them. But if you take a very low dose, it's almost the same amount of adrenaline that you had. He, he sort of explained to me that if I only took five milligrams or ten, it was relatively harmless. And I, do, I have to say I did trust him because he was happy to talk to me about many things to do with diet and what have you and not at all hung up on the, or giving me constant drugs. But I did get addicted to dihydrocodone. I took it for, I actually, t 10, maybe even 15 years I took it for and I tried very hard to stop taking it and could never do it. And I think I told you that a couple of years ago, I very suddenly um, became ill and was rushed to hospital. I had double pneumonia. Really shocked me. And they said, you lucky that Joe called the ambulance because you wouldn't be here. And I didn't even feel ill. And my whole, all of my lungs were, they're still like debris. They're still like debris there from... From that, I was very ill. I was in hospital for a week and I was off work for six months. And um, I did a bit of work at home, but I was not teaching for six months. Um, and I, 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 I then I stopped drinking. I had to stop drinking because I was taking very strong antibiotics, which I did take. Um, and I stopped drinking and I thought, oh, you know, when I'm better... Um, I can have a glass of Prosecco. And, and it was so easy to stop drinking that I never had another drink. And I haven't had a drink for two and a half years. And I feel so much better. Um, I was also vaping at that time. And this is going to make people laugh. I never smoked. I just vaped. <laughs> I didn't do it to give up mm. smoking. I yes. did it because I thought it was quite nice and mm. relaxing. So I knocked that on the head too. The, the uh, consultant at the hospital said to me, I said, is this caused by vaping, do you think? And he said, well, I can't say that to you, but anything you breathe into your lungs that isn't air is not good. Mm, it's not meant to be there, is there? It's not meant to be there, so it's probably... A, I, I read of somebody recently who got pneumonia who has... I blame that, actually. I think it was... I was doing it a lot. I was waking up in the night and doing it when I was thinking vaping. about stuff. Yeah, it was a bad habit, and I when I came out, I threw it all away. I had a lot of stuff lot of nice equipment and mm. I was going to give it to somebody and I thought you know what I'm going to throw it away because I don't want to pass it yeah, on Yeah when to somebody. you know something's not right you can't give it to so your threw worst it. enemy well, it was about can 200 you? pounds with stuff I just mm. threw it all away and uh my son said well I could have had I said no I don't want you to have mm. it if you want one you can buy one I'm not giving you encouraging that so um so yeah so I I stopped and I then started on a path of uh, juicing and trying to move more closely towards a vegan diet. The only reason I didn't go fully vegan is because my daughter has hens and I really trusted the eggs and thought it was a good thing to eat because I literally took it from the, 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 the coop and, and took it home and ate it. Mm, so it felt fabulous. like, you know, that's not going to do me any harm. Um, so I, I tried really hard to uh, do all of that, but I could not get off the dihydrocodone and I became worried also about... Um, a little bit of uh, kind of movement in my hand that seemed like a bit of deformity. So I went back to rheumatology after many, many, many years. I think it's about 10, maybe 12 years, maybe more. I'm not very good at, I don't keep dates. I just kind of think I wish I'd written that down, but I didn't. Um, so I went back and they offered me methotrexate again and I said I didn't want it. They handed me the packet 
and it said on it, if you handle this drug, please make sure you wash your hands thoroughly and don't touch anybody. And I looked at it and said, I don't want that. Why am I not to touch anybody? You want me to put that inside mm. of me and I'm not to touch anybody. No, I don't want that. They think I'm mad. They look at me as if I'm mad, like a, a real troublemaker. <laughs> and I, um, um, so I said I wouldn't take it. And um, I didn't want to take soft salazine again. And so they re they recommended I go on this biologic drug, this new drug. They said this will help. Da, da, da. And I said, yeah, okay, I'll give it a try. And I have had one injection of that. But I still couldn't give up my dihydrocodine. I got from eight to six and it took me about a year. However, there's a happy ending to this story because uh, three months ago, maybe two and a half months ago, um, I started to use experiments with various things like I started to use turmeric I hadn't used it before and um, um, the, the, the vegan version of fish oil those type of things and vitamins but I also started to use some uh, cannabis oil mm -hmm. that's CPD oil um, and I, I found it was great because it helped me to sleep and when I slept well, my pain and my bother in the morning was much, much less. And so I was really pleased with that. But what happened, which wasn't, which, which was an, a, a sort of side thing that I wasn't even thinking about, was that because I started to take this, I stopped taking dihydrocodine. I just didn't think about taking it. And every now and then I thought, oh, I haven't taken it. And I took a couple. And I worked out that in the last month, last 30 days, I have taken six dihydrocodine. And I would have normally taken 180. 180? Six a day. Three Grief. sixes are 18. 180. Yikes. And you're now down to six? I'm now down to naught. Oh, right. Even better. I was down to six. I, I, I had six this month. But in the last two weeks, I haven't had any. Wow. And you attribute this to a combination of dietary I, changes and oil? I don't know what else it can be because I haven't had any side effects. I haven't had any trouble. I haven't had any extreme pain. I've had less pain, actually, because one of the things I know about dihydrocodone is the more you take it, the less it works. Yes. So actually, even if you're taking eight a day, it's probably not touching anything. Um, so that is what has happened to me now. I have come off dihydrocodine and I'm going to continue to use that oil and I'm also going to use... I, I'm a bit scared because I, I know I've got rheumatoid arthritis and I think, oh my God, what will happen? Will I be, uh, you know, but I have decided my second injection is due tomorrow and I'm not going to have it. Mm. And I'm not going to... I'm going to, when the nurse comes next week, say thank you very much because she was great. It's nothing to do with her. Um, but I, I don't think I will. And they will think I'm balmy and tell me all sorts of horrible stories, but I'm not going to listen to them no, good, good because I believe this to be the right thing. I, I feel so uncomfortable. I, I got, had the injection and right away I felt uncomfortable and all week I felt uncomfortable about it. What is it yes, swimming yeah. about inside of me? I don't, I don't like the, the It has idea. to be... Um, sort of reiterating for the listeners, any healthcare matter has to be your own decision. Yeah. So um, please don't be swayed if you're in this situation. Having said that, um, 
Rosemary is a, a picture of hell sitting here in front of me. Thank and uh, I know from personal experience, because I, I am also recommended to have these injections um, and have been for many years. And I'm, I've refused flat every time. Mm. Um, I've got fractured spine that, that comes and goes. I've got four vertebrae that fractured, which was due to uh, radiotherapy that I had for 10 years ago for breast cancer. Mm. And which weakens the the the, uh, the bone yeah. structure, and spi- uh, a bit of spina bifida, um, lordosis, and scoliosis, twisted spine. Mm. Um, I don't take any painkillers. I don't take mm. um, any anything at all. And I'm Brilliant. definitely, definitely not having those darned injections. No. Um, but but I do live very well, healthily wise. I drink too much red wine, which people who know me know that. But I'm I'm moving to Portugal shortly, so I'm going to <laughs> turn overly. Well, I can either drink more or start it off as you know, going non-alcoholic, mm. so I will be sourcing mm. some non-alcoholics. I do. Mm. To me, it's a social thing. Yeah, um, and I, I like the taste as well. Mm. But it's more social. Mm. Um, and I drink in a in a local um, microbrewery um, here nice. where I live, and yeah. it's fabulous. It's like we're all a family, yeah. and everybody's eccentric that goes in there. Yeah. Um, and not everybody drinks, and no, they do no. do some non-alcoholic. Good, and and it's li- mm. lovely. You know, yeah, I have so. I have um, a, um, a non-alcoholic beer, mm. um, and. Uh, not all the time, I have to yeah. say. As yeah. soon as I walk in the door, there's a glass of white uh, wine. I drink glass of red, red wine and uh, water. I, I, they've even they even buy bottled water now in glasses. Oh, um, excellent! Only for me because excellent. I won't have water out of plastic no, bottles no, wherever no, I go. Me neither. Me neither. So, um, yeah, they've they they're, they're trained very well. So, Jen, if you're listening to this, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to drink up the uh, the, the water before yeah. I go. Yeah. So, um, I think yeah, I your diet. Co- my um. Red wine is um, coffee. I love a cup of coffee. Well, and I've not given it. I, I gave it up for a bit when I when I came out from the pneumonia. I was religious about everything, and then gradually I got better. And um, and I lo- I like a cup of nice coffee so just before stories. I teach. Yeah, and and, and, so I, and, I, and I think well, do you know what I've done all right? I used to have ten cups of coffee mm. a day. Now I have one, maybe two, but not every day. Yeah. So I probably have an average of one a day and I think I'm gonna let myself have that yeah why not because you know it does you you good it makes you feel fine and there's lots of evidence now that coffee isn't as bad as they they thought it was yeah I'm not sure who's published those reports if it's the coffee houses that seem to be on every (laughs) every um street corner these days but um no I I was on when I was doing my big corporate jobs I was on you know eight ten cups a day just to keep going yeah but now I, I do drink coffee but I drink it very rarely and I if I if I have it I have for organic ground so i have the proper stuff i would never ever touch instant coffee no, never in a million no, years no. because all the nasties in there um but yeah i enjoy an odd you know um high street brand coffee from time yeah. to time but and again, i put not a every bit day. of um soya cream in it oh change like. to oh, change really? to almond oh, oh, or oh, coconut oat. Oh, oat. Oat. yes yeah please have oat don't have, have soy oat. so 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 it's not terribly good and i have course. um stevia okay and that, uh, that's how I replicate. Uh, uh, and if sometimes I have uh, hazelnut milk, yeah, uh, and that's how I replicate a nice cup of coffee. I don't have milk in it, and I don't have sugar in it, but I make it like it as if it has. And, and I spend a lot of time making it. It's like a ritual. Well, exactly. Yeah, but, but then I really like it. it, and it and it does. I do like it in the morning, but you know, not as I say, not every, not every day. But I have. I think if I've got down to one a day from ten, that's good enough. Absolutely, and it's and it has to be right for you. Again, your decision not to have the injection for your rheumatoid arthritis, mm. 
your your diet change doctors mm. won't tell you about diet changes mm. very few although mm. social prescribing is now coming up um mm. in the in the headlines and you know go go and grow your own vegetables and do some gardening and so mm. on and so forth social prescribing i have to laugh every time i hear it and see it written it's bleeding obvious you know, know. our grandparents did this I, I grew up with my grandparents nanny uh, granddad grew all the vegetables on the allotment mm. everything was organic mm. um mm. we didn't know what organic was then of no, course it was just that we no. didn't put muck on it you no. know and yeah. then he'd bring it home mm. and uh, Nanny would bottle it and, and um, mm. do whatever she did with it. And, and uh, we, we, we were brought up on fresh vegetables and fruit yeah. and fresh flowers as well. Yeah. And fresh flowers. Yeah. Um, so we're going back mm. to the olden days. It's yeah. a newfangled thing. But even if you bought it in the shop, in the veg shop, it was from round the corner. Exactly. And it was in growers. a dirty sack of spuds. Yes. And you, you knew yeah. where it had come from. Mm. So it wasn't at all like, oh, it's come from... Brazil or yeah, know, wherever. Or, uh, what? And all these out of, season, from flipping. out of season stuff that we have now, it's not natural, is it? It's not no. right. And it's no. been on ships and air freight and road, road it's transport not right at all. and so on it's, and so it's, forth. It's gone very badly wrong, all of this. We should rule the world, Rosemary. I think uh, Roseanne Barr, sorry if nobody likes her, I know she got in trouble, she said some crappy things. I'm not supporting anything she said, but Roseanne Barr is a comedian. She's a... Middle-aged women should rule the world, really. We should. Because they're sensible. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not sure what middle age is anymore. I mean, well, you know, older women, oh, gra- grannies, I think she said. Experience. Grannies should rule the world. <laughs> I, was, I was told one time never to accept uh, advice and guidance from somebody unless they oh, have yeah. grey hair. Yeah, I, so I read I, that on I your have, page. Yeah, yeah. I, have, I have grey hair now. So, uh, Well, in fact, it's purple yeah. at the moment. I went to a ball on Saturday night and I dyed my hair purple for... Uh, for the fun of it. so <laughs> I think there is something to be said for... I think wisdom is a thing. And I don't think it's about pushing young people around or telling them you know best. But I think listening to older people is... Everything I learned, I've learned from listening to people who are older than me, who know stuff. That That's what I believe. And, and there's stuff you can learn and pass on. And if you don't have a, a close family... Listen to other older people. If you don't have grandparents, I didn't have grandparents at all that I knew. In fact, my grandma on my dad's side died of rheumatoid arthritis when she was 38. Goodness. She was in a wheelchair. That's where I got it from. Mm, yeah. Um, I presume. And you were in your 30s, you mentioned, when you had your yeah. diagnosis. Yeah. She died. She had it, was terribly disabled, and they were giving her aspirin. In the, back, back in, this was like rural Ireland. Mm. So they were, you know, they didn't have any fancy drugs. They just gave her out. They said, take aspirin. She died. Well, let's have um, a song by Alicia Keys. This girl is on fire. This girl is on fire. I think that that describes my guest today, <laughs> Rosemary. Rosemary. So it's been great having you in the studio this afternoon. Thank so we've got another about another 10 minutes or so okay. um, to, to wibble on about something or other. So uh, okay. so you've had all kinds of um, experiences with your um, your recent health um, situation with your rheumatoid arthritis mm. and pretty much from, from what you've told me, you're, you're, you're actually actively reversing the decline of your condition. I'm trying. Um, one of the big things that I didn't mention that has made a difference is when I became ill with pneumonia, I stopped drinking and I changed my diet and I started to lose weight, which was fine because I was overweight at my top. I was 13 stone. I think then I was about, I think when I came out of hospital, I was about 12, 
and a bit, 12 and a half, 12 and a bit. I was overweight <clears throat> and I uh, saw the weight coming off. I wasn't doing anything. I was eating slightly differently and having smoothies, but not drinking at all. And it started to come off. And after a year, I'd lost about probably a stone and a half. I was a bit worried. It seemed a bit quick. And 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 then it started to fall off really a lot. And so I went and went to the doctor and I'm worried about this. But it wasn't anything. It was just my change of lifestyle. And I lost two and a half stone. And I've had no trouble whatsoever keeping it off by staying with the the, the way just, I've Just changed. eating sensibly. So no, just eat no sensibly. diet. I'm never hungry. I don't, you know, I go out for meals with my family. I am... Um, <clears throat> You know, if I want to have some chips, I have some chips. I have what I want, but, you know, I'm careful. I try to have lots of organic veg and I, I'm semi-vegan. I don't have milk. I have a bit of cheese sometimes, but I'm not, you know, I'm kind of drifting away from that, really. But the weight loss was a big thing, like the pressure on my joints. Um, and also, I have metal knees. I had my knees replaced, so one thing that I'm lucky is that I can walk a long way so if i go to you know the park and i i can walk which you know if you can walk and move and exercise it helps all of you so having those was, was a great thing because what before i had them i had two sticks my knees were so badly damaged i was having steroid injections every six weeks couldn't walk really i was destined for a wheelchair um so having that was great and i i was happy with that um, so losing the weight was good. Um, the other thing that has been problematic is I got diagnosed whilst they were investigating the weight loss. I got diagnosed with a thing called Barrett's esophagus, which I'd never heard of. And they said some uh, part of my esophagus was damaged. And it meant that I had a 1% increased chance of catching esophageal cancer, which I thought at the time was slightly bizarre that they would even tell me that. One percent. What, what would I do with that? Yeah. What, how would I stop that? Mm. And then the consultant I saw, he was lovely actually. Said, "Well, you know, it's more like three probably." But even then, I thought, "What?" And and it felt as though it was a, a reason to give me more drugs. Um, and so I was given another drug to to deal with this. And and I, and then I started doing quite a lot of research online around how people were dealing with it themselves and people were talking about cider vinegar and um, aloe vera and things like that. So I've got that and I do get heartburn, um, but I, I don't... I do occasionally, but I try not to take the medication. For I try to deal with it. What what medication have they given you? I can't you? remember what it's called. It begins. With, I I never remember the name of it. it. Begins with O. Omeprazole. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that is one of the worst things you can take. Go into my health group, Perfect yeah. Health with Elaine Godley, on mm. Face Group, uh, Face Group, Facebook, Facebook Group. Yeah. Um, and then do a search in the on the left hand mm. side. I don't know if listeners mm. realise this, but on the left hand side there is a search bar. You can put your topic in. Mm. So you put in. Um, uh, acid reflux basically mm. is what it's for mm. and the omeprazole which my mother was on and mm. she was on I don't know how many drugs it was it was side effects of drugs that killed my mother three mm. years suddenly well actually nearly four years ago now mm. um, 
But um, it's one of the worst things you can take because it does not help the situation. It makes it worse with the mm. side effects. Mm. A lot of people get acid reflux because they don't have enough stomach acid. It's not they've got too much. Mm. It's that they haven't got enough. Mm. Um, and as a result, the... Um, the imbalance between the acid and alkaline fizz that should happen in the stomach doesn't happen. Mm. And if there's a faulty valve, it then kind of comes back up and they call it acid reflux. Mm. Um, a lot of people um, need to be taking um, uh, digestive enzymes, um, hydrochloric acid, mm. uh, which sounds... Any, anything with the, the word acid on it, mm. you know, it freaks me out. But the mm. hydrochloric acid is we need it um, for the, the the good balance. So I'll give you some tips on that. Um, well, that'd be great. Um, yeah, but that's area. that's the other thing. I also have. Um, I got diagnosed with asthma <clears throat> a long, long time ago. Uh, it was when I, I used to cycle a lot, and um, I, I became very breathless one day on my bike, and they. So I have inhalers, but do you know what? I don't use them, and 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 when I don't have milk and all of that, I don't. I I don't really think I have got asthma at all. Milk is acid forming you know? and mucus forming. Mm. So anybody that um, listening out there um, that has breathing difficulties, please please cut out dairy. Yeah, dairy is highly acidic mm. and it's highly mucus forming. Mm. So the last thing you want is is a glass mm. of milk. No, um, no. There's lots of alternatives. Mm. <coughs> excuse, <coughs> excuse me. You've got um, oat milk and coconut milk and hemp and all, all kinds of variations. Hazelnuts, my favourite. Hazelnut, yeah, <laughs> hazelnuts, jolly yummy, yeah. So yeah. there's lots of variations out there, but uh, mm. please consider, do yeah. your research, you know, don't just take my word for it, do no. your research. And um, so you find that keeping off of dairy has helped? Yeah, I, I don't particularly like it. I never like milk that much anyway. And I, you know, my weakness is I do like um, Kerrygold butter. My, um, like you said about the organic, everything that comes from the south of Ireland is organic because of the way that yes, they you don't yeah. get they don't call it organic yeah. but you know Kerrygold butter is organic mm. it's not but butter is the only exception to the rule now that I have reintroduced into my diet oh, I was really? on, yeah I was off dairy for a long long time oh, okay. and I have reintroduced butter um, because it's it's almost like a superfood, really. Mm. Um, I'm doing some training to be a biohacker, oh, and the guy that I'm training with, uh, Mark Hathaway, um, he's he's explained that when you have um, butter that's from organic grass-fed cows, mm. um, particularly if there's any salt involved, so salt mm. is a really good thing to have. We're we're told don't have salt; it's high blood mm. pressure. Blah blah blah. Well, of course it is. If you take the fish shop salt, yeah, I'm not talking about table salt here. We're talking mm. sea salt, yeah. or pink Himalayan salt. Mm. So I have my butter that's got sea salt mm. in it, and it's organic, grass-fed mm. cows. Blah mm. blah, and I love it. So mm. it's it's a luxury that I've mm. I've reintroduced. Oh, that's good. I um, don't have to give up butter. Then. No, you don't. Brilliant. You don't. I'm happy to give up milk, and I'm pretty happy to give up cheese now too. I've almost trained myself. To be, I'm a bit disgusted by it, the fattiness of it. Yes, yeah. Because I don't, you know, I used to love brie and and Emmental and everything. Emmental, um, Gruyere, Gruyere is okay. Oh, is it? And actually, Emmental and Edam and oh. Halloumi and um, what's the uh, Italian one that you scrape? Um, it's uh, it's I can't think what it's called. Um, yeah. 
Parmesan, parmesan and cheese is okay. Anyway, we need to, we need to wrap up now, okay. Rosemary, yep, because sure. we've uh, we've come to the end yep. of our time. So thank you so much for being on the show. No, thank you for having and, me. Um, let's just reiterate that uh, helpline number for yeah. anybody with their domestic uh, abuse situations or can see somebody's got a got an issue potentially um, to phone for advice, which is oh eight oh eight two thousand twenty four seven. 0808 2024-7 and have a look on Facebook for um, Rosemary's Facebook group which is NG She on Facebook. Thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. You're very welcome. Bye.